Good morning. Thank you for having us. Um, and I just think I just wanted to compliment David real fast. Um, I know I've heard Callie say one of the uh, greatest things she did is she always remember getting up and well, it seems like every day or at least on the weekends when when she would wake up she would see David uh, reading his Bible um, in the morning and I know that had a huge impact on on her as well. So. Um, Man, thank you for having us this morning. We want to share about our story and, you know, how does, how does somebody go from, uh, you know, Oklahoma into wanting to be international cross-cultural missionaries? And also, um, we're just really encouraged by, uh, the, the bulletin and, and, you know, talking about the people of peace, the persons of peace. And so we wanted to kind of share some of our experience and things that we've learned over the last number of years and, how do we identify those people and, you know, just some really easy practical tools. So we want to um, give back uh, to you for having us and, and hopefully uh, bring some teaching and, and, and encouragement as well. Um, so first we just like to share more of our testimonies. Um, like David said, I grew up in Edmond, Oklahoma. I grew up in a Christian home and uh, I, I always, always went to church and believed the gospel um, intellectually and, and, and had a great biblical foundation with the school I went to and, um, was always involved in church. But the, what, what David mentioned, the, the process of, of going from, you know, graduating college and, and really entering adulthood and, and leaving all of the familiarity that I had here and support structures and other ways that I would use to, cope with stress maybe around me was stripped away when I moved and, uh, to Illinois and, and went to Caterpillar. And that's where the Lord really was speaking to me and said, hey, you're not really trusting me with your whole life. I, I really want to be Lord and King of your whole life. And, and I, want, I want all of it. And uh, I remember reading our community group in Illinois was reading this book called uh, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. And that's pretty convicting when you read it. You know, it's it's very challenging. At that time, I was like, I don't want anything to do with this, Lord. What are you going to make me do? Are you going to make me go be a missionary or something? And so it's it's always kind of funny to see, you know, what the Lord has done in our hearts uh, to get us to this point. And, uh, and that we're just thankful um, for how he's grown us. And then now it's something that we joyfully walk into in obedience. And uh, and that was that time in my life where he really kind of broke down all those things and and really called me to walk in obedience to him and, and a response in love of who he is and not, not out of duty or, or, or anything to gain his favor, but um, just a response in, in loving obedience. Yeah, so as you guys know, I grew up in this church, and I have my parents and especially my dad to thank for um, my spiritual formation and how much um, knowledge and understanding I have about the word, and um, I think that that carried me through college for a long time and even through meeting Jacob, um, but it wasn't until probably about four or five years ago um, that I feel like the Lord was really speaking to me and saying, if you are really taking to heart everything that you're reading in my word and you really believe that all of this is true, where's the obedience out of love from you? And um, that was like a question that I really wrestled with for a really long time. Like, if I really love Jesus, if I really love him, what am I going to do for him? And um, the Holy Spirit was really talking to me and talking to me in dreams and talking to me um, in his word and through other people. And um, we started uh, 
doing this read the Bible in a year plan, which I highly recommend if you're married or even if you're not, but if you're married, doing it together. And we read the Bible every night out loud to each other, and we would pray right after, and the Lord was just really speaking to us a lot. And we were smart enough to listen, I think. <laughs> so um, anyway, we um, we were reading in Isaiah 61 up there. You can yes. see the year of the Lord's see. favor. Um, we were reading it together, and um, the Lord was really impressing on my heart to talk to Jacob, you know, what if we, what if we do some kind of international mission? What, what is, what would that look like? What, you know, so I talked to him about it and he said, how weird. I was going to ask the same thing about you. <laughs> so we decided that we would pray about it, um, that night after we read this section of the Bible. And so we prayed and we went to sleep. And then that night I woke up in the middle of the night from this really intense dream where Jacob and I were at this fancy fish restaurant and we were trying to figure out what we wanted to eat. We didn't know. And the waiter came out and he said, "Um, can I show you what we have? And I said, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) So he rolls up this big table that had a purple tablecloth over it and all these dishes of exotic fish. And they were like rainbowed, bejeweled, sparkling, like you wouldn't eat the fish. And the waiter kept saying over and over, take your pick, choose whatever you want. And I woke up and I heard the words, fishers of men. I woke up Jacob immediately. I thought, we have to pray about this. Like, What is going on? And so we prayed and we sought the Lord for a long time about what this dream might mean. And I believe what the interpretation that we both received was that the fish were people groups or countries and that the Lord was telling us to choose one and um, he would make the rest of it happen. We'd go and make disciples and he would um, provide what we needed to make that happen. So that's where we we went from there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's been a huge blessing for us is with with our uh, with our home church in Oklahoma City Bridgeway Church. Uh, we kind of fell in with our timing was was right in step with our mission pastor as they're as they have a desire to be a um, you know a, a a big sending church and want to be sending out a lot of people. Um, so we kind of were always on the cutting edge, the guinea pigs of all the new things our mission pastor was doing. Uh, so we got to kind of help be a part of establishing this pipeline of, you know, it's like couch to Germany and, and, you know, a couple of years, whatever that is, like couch to 5k, right? Uh, how do we get, um, you know, uh, how do we train ourselves in preparation for this? And so, uh, the first thing we did was like a class we call engaging the global community and we started to, just changed the way we were living. And so you can see a picture up there on the left of, of Callie teaching English to international women, uh, mostly of a Muslim background, um, from Iran and uh, Morocco and all sorts of different places who are now living in Oklahoma. Um, some are here for business. Some have been refugees. Uh, they have a variety of things. And then we also just started engaging with international students. On the right, we were at Orr Family Farm with... Uh, our, our friend Yidan, uh, from China, from Sichuan, China, the Sichuan province. Um, and so we just started to kind of change the way, you know, we spent time and, and the activities we did. You know, we didn't make any major alterations. Uh, we just started to try to include these other people around us and, and see who the Lord is preparing, you know, the person of peace, uh, who is the Lord preparing, uh, already in their hearts to, to receive Him. So, this is, uh, we wanted to, share with you kind of some of the things, one of the, some of the practical ways that we started living this out and practical tools 
Um, one of these is we call Shema statements or salty statements. Um, and, and it's based on uh, the Shema, uh, which is uh, what, you know, Moses was telling the people of Israel. It's, you know, it's a, a, a prayer that they would recite as well. And so it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Uh, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them uh, as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So we just kind of wanted to talk more about all this and uh, Pastor Brad can probably inform me better. I'm not a you know, I'm not well studied in Greek or Hebrew, but my understanding of the Hebrew word Shema there that here is the implication is it's hear and obey. Um, that that's, you know, it's a, it's a word that, that means both of them at the same time. So it's not just hear, but well, it's sort of respond to what the Lord is saying. Um, and so the, you know, we see it, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And, and we see what, you know, Jesus references this and loving the Lord with all, uh, all your heart mind, uh, soul, and strength. But uh, some of the ways, it's we, we see talk of them when you sit in your home. So it's part of our daily life. You know, we're always talking about the Lord and who he is for us. Um, and you shall talk of them uh, when you walk by the way. So it's this contrast of our private lives and our public lives mirror each other, that, that they're same, they're not different. And then, uh, you know, when you when you uh, lie down and when you rise, it's, you know, it's kind of these... Um, I forget the technical term for it, Pastor Brad can probably say it, but it's, it's this, you know, encompassing all life, you know, from beginning to end, you know, it's, it's part of, of what we do. And so the Shema statement is, let's, we're living a lifestyle of, of saying, uh, you know, speaking about the Lord with everybody that we meet, because we want to identify those persons of peace, those people who the Lord is preparing in their hearts, uh, to receive Him. And so, some of the, like an example uh, of this would be, maybe somebody would ask Callie, man, Callie, you've got, you've got such beautiful kids. They're so cute. And I would say, oh, thank you. The Lord has really blessed us with right. two special gifts. You know, and it's really easy to just slip in, the Lord did this, God did this, instead of saying, oh, thank you. I know they're really cute. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> so um, it's just, and I, I do this all the time, like at the grocery store and like, the other, a few years ago, I had a plumber come to my house to fix something, and he said, um, like, there was this crazy pipe situation, and he's like, it is, you're just pure luck that you didn't have this explode and have a huge mess, and I said, you know what, it was actually the Lord, the Lord did this, this was a huge miracle that he performed <laughs> in my house, and you got to witness it, and he was like, uh, okay, so sometimes, you know, they fall flat, but it's worth saying and honestly, sometimes you get people will say, like, I'll meet somebody in Target. Um, like the other day, I was at Target, and I was getting fruit, and the guy that always loads my fruit up or whatever was there, and he was like, man, I'm just having a bad day. And I said, you know what's going on? And he's like, well, I got some really bad news about my kidneys. And I said, can I pray for you? And he was like, uh, right now? And I said, yeah, I'm going to pray for you right now. And he's like, 
I guess so. Just don't want anybody to see you do it. And I said, well, I'm just going to stand right here and you're going to stand right there and no one has to know that we're praying. Like, it's going to be fine. And so uh, I laid hands on him and prayed for him and um, he walked away feeling really blessed and it took no effort to stand there. I was getting fruit anyway. He happened to be there. Like, it's really easy. So um, it was you know, just things like that. Yeah. Shema statements. And these are the things that, you know, we'll be doing, uh, all the time. It's just, it's a lifestyle thing because we want to be identifying those persons of peace, uh, so that they can, uh, open up communities and where is the Lord preparing, um, you know, new harvest. And, uh, our sending organization, All Nations, we have an acronym for identifying a person of peace as well. We'd say they're woolly, they're welcoming, they open their oikos or their community, their family, whatever, and they're listening. They're, there's an act of listening and engaging and, and those are good ways for us to identify those people so that, you know, I mean, Paul tells us to spend our time wisely and we want to spend our time wisely with those people, uh, who the Lord's already working on their hearts. Um, another really good one is, and I hope we can see this okay, we'd, another tool that we were given and, and I think is a really good, useful tool, uh, we call it a 15-second testimony. Uh, and we say, you know, there is maybe you just have a brief moment, you know, a really small minute or two to share with somebody and, and, uh, and maybe they're struggling, you can recognize on their face that they're having a hard day. And, you know, say there's a time in my life where, I was really controlling and anxious and worried, but then I met Jesus, and now I've got forgiveness, and I started to follow him, and since then, he's helped me be more trusting and have peace in my life. You know, have you ever heard, a, heard do you have a story like this? Do you, do you know something like that? That's just a really good way to open somebody up. You know, it's a really simple way to share your testimony, because we're thinking of a few words, you know, maybe... Um, an emotion or uh, maybe even a sin that, you know, we can identify and, and know how the Lord has brought us through that and strengthen us in that. Um, so this is also really another effective tool that we feel like is, is really useful in identifying and, and sharing with those persons of peace. So we hope you're encouraged by this today and maybe you say, hey, you know, this is something really simple and, you know, we don't want to um, give the mindset that, you know, we're going to be these international missionaries and put us on a pedestal. It's really simple things that um, everybody can do every day. Um, and, you know, these are the, the types of things that we want to be engaging in. Um, so as during this time, uh, we started to take a class called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And if you remember from what Callie shared about the dream, we kind of felt like the Lord was giving us a bit of a blank check. He didn't necessarily tell us, um, you know, I, I want you to go to this people group in Papua New Guinea or China or wherever. So we kind of, it was a journey for us to get to, you know, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And the joke is, you know, perspectives opened our eyes to see need everywhere. And so it didn't really help very much in narrowing, narrowing that focus for us because we just thought, man, where there's need everywhere, um, where you're working and, and, and there's a harvest field everywhere. Um, but we, you know, we really encourage people to take it. Probably the closest one is going to be Oklahoma City. So it can be a bit of a drive, but it had a huge impact on shaping uh, our, we always kind of joke, our perspective, right? They can't, you can't not use the word. It's, uh, it's funny. Um, and then almost, it's been two and a half years, almost three years ago, uh, we went to the Czech Republic. So we have some friends who live in the Czech Republic who are, uh, um, sent missionaries through our church. And we went within the first week or two 
when they planted and, and moved. And we worked alongside in an English summer camp, and I did some probably not-so-safe woodworking with the kids, but it was super popular. Um, no one got injured except for me, so that was good. Uh, and uh, and we had a had a great time, but that was a it was somewhere that we we saw you know the fruit of our friends who were moving there long term, and and the short term trip is good, um, but we felt like the Lord solidified in our hearts like I want you to move long term, and and we can have those relationships uh, you know that are that last more than than a week, and we can sit there and disciple them and spend time and and be with those people. And I would say also what was really cool about that trip was that we got to see our friends who were moving there in the first week, a week or 10 days that they had been there. They lost all of their luggage on the flight over and their house alarm broke and was going off and they had to cut the wire and irritate all their neighbors in like the first 48 hours that they were there. And like all these things went wrong. They had a lot of spiritual opposition. And then we saw another couple of missionaries that were had just moved there and had been there probably like a year or two. They had young children. And then we saw another uh, family of missionaries that had been there 10 years and had their kids there on the field. And so we got to see kind of like a little slice of life from the international missionaries perspective um, from like every stage. So it was really formative for us. And I think also it was a really frustrating trip in that we were not allowed to share the gospel with the Czech kids because of the language barrier. So they had all of their teaching time was in Czech, which is fine. It's great. But it was really humbling to be there and want to share the gospel and want to talk to them. And all we could do was unsafe woodworking. And for me, yarn or bracelet making. And crayon art. And crayon art. Yeah, we (laughs) melted some crayons. So it was, I mean, it was hard to just, just serve with our hands and not with our, not with our words. So it was a really formative moment. Mm -hmm. And then so shortly after that, um, we spent about a, a year leading in these things, teaching the Engaging Global Community class with, within our church and, and being on the coordinating team of perspectives and, and spending another year. And during that time is when we started to make relationships with our sending organization, uh, All Nations are based out of Kansas City. And uh, so a lot of the teachers who come for the perspectives class are former missionaries, and a lot of mission organizations will... Uh, send their staff who are, you know, maybe in an administrative training role now after they've come off the field. And so, uh, the, the person who is the training director, we just kind of immediately said, you know, we want to learn from her. She served for 10 years in far western China, uh, on the Afghanistan border. And, uh, we just love the simplicity, the, the similarity of heart to, uh, our, our sending church and, um, uh, we just we loved their heart and started their first reaction to us uh, was, "Hey, come up to Kansas City and let's 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 meet each other. Let's make a relationship. Let's see if we're a good fit." Um, which we always like. You know, some of the big ones you can you'll be filling out a paperwork that's a huge psychological test and all sorts of stuff. And um, not that those things are bad; they're they're useful for large organizations. But we just like that it was a little bit smaller and relational. Um, and, and so we really feel like, you know, technically the full name is All Nations Family, and so we really do feel like a family, um, and it's just been a huge blessing to us. So when we went and visited Kansas City for the first time about um, almost a year and a half ago, uh, that's when they started to 
cast vision for their missionaries serving refugees and asylum seekers um, in in Europe and the Middle East and and where they were coming uh, and and these neglected people. So that's they invited us uh, and it was me and a pastor from my church went and visited a number of uh, of of their teams uh, working across Europe. In, in December of 2017. So I got the opportunity to do that. And we visited Denmark and Sweden and Germany and actually had a different meal in each one of those countries on one single day, which was a little bit intense, but they're all close together, so it wasn't a huge deal. Um, and uh, and then that's where we felt like we just had a peace, uh, talking it over with, with our pastor and elder, the peace that, that Germany was going to be the right fit for us and, and allow us to, to move forward. Um, so, and why Germany? We're going to cue the video, David. So this is a video that they showed us when we were there, and it started, it was what started to, uh, turn our hearts toward the plight of the refugee and what they go through. Um, so we just wanted to share that. So our hearts broke at that, right? Uh, seeing the physical needs of these people, um, uh, it can be hard to watch, um, but it's humbling to meet them and talk to them for the first time after all that they've experienced, right? Uh, but the the powerful thing is even though they have a lot of physical felt needs and emotional needs, the biggest they need they have is Jesus Christ, right? Uh, and they need a church body around them to support them. Um, so that's what we want to be there doing. Uh, you know, we'll engage in all those other things, but... We see the Lord has a heart for uh, the fatherless, the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner, or the refugee, right? You know, the Israelites were sojourners and refugees. Um, and so we believe that the Lord has a specific heart for these people, that his heart breaks for them because they're neglected uh, from society and usually unwanted wherever they go. Um, so more, uh, this is kind of statistics that might be hard to see on, on this screen, but uh, it was about a million and a half persons of interest, and most would, this is official documentation from the United Nations, uh, High Commissioner for Refugees. So about a million refugees in Germany and half a million asylum seekers. So an asylum seeker is, is different as, they'll get a status, and a refugee will have an official status from the, from the UN. So they will, there's an official process. They have across the border and they'll go into a camp. And they go through the, the vetting process. And then when they get resettled to a place like Germany, uh, then they can stay. They don't have, you know, they're resettled. This is their new home country. They can stay for life. Whereas an asylum seeker is more likely somebody who's fleeing from Iran or Afghanistan. Because it's not necessarily like a civil war like it has been in Syria. But it's still, you know, it's not a great place to be, right? There's a lot of oppression, uh, uh, persecution, things like that that are happening. Um, and so they can, they'll flee and try to get to Germany and seek asylum when they, when they get there. So some people would estimate these numbers are, or maybe even double, maybe closer to three million people who are there, uh, right now. And this is from, from 2016. You can see there are about three quarters of a million asylum applications in Germany. Um, obviously you can see far exceeding uh, most of the other uh, countries on that list. Um, and this is, you know, Germany has been much more welcoming and open than most um, of the other countries in that area. So all these people want the same things that we want. They want security. They want a job. 
Uh, they want their families to be safe. Uh, and so that's why they're, they're going to places like Germany because it's their most likely opportunity to get those things. But, like I said, we know that the, the safest place they can be is in a relationship with Jesus. So we want to meet them in that place and make sure that they uh, know that and understand it. So uh, we'll show it later, but the the focus people group that we want to uh, be reaching out to is the Persian. Uh, so they're from Iran, um, and they are an unreached people group. So there's you know half a percent of evangelical Christians among them. But it's also one of the fastest growing churches in in the world right now. A lot of these, um, when they start to realize that Islam was was essentially forced on them in years past, and they get into a space where they can hear the gospel for the first time and evaluate uh, Jesus for the first time, uh, they they very quickly turn their hearts and are, are gladly accepting. Uh, uh, um, to, to become Christians. So this is what we're going into, but as you can see from that previous list, there's lots of other countries that are represented. There's, you know, Sudanese and, and Afghanis who also speak Farsi like Persians do from Iran or, uh, Syrian refugees who, who would speak Arabic. Um, and I would say also that one of the reasons that we're choosing to focus on Iranians and Persians is because we've had a lot of success with them here in Oklahoma City. So we, um, when I was teaching um, English um, to international women at Henderson Hills Baptist Church, um, we had probably half the class were Persian women, and they were all related. They're all big family. They're all connected, and um, a lot of them, uh, we became really good friends. They invited us into our into their home, um, which if you've ever had hospitality from a Persian. We ate on their wedding china and had popcorn out of like a crystal gob- a goblet and like there was like a three course meal and this was lunch. Yeah. So they're very intense and they will offer tea to anybody. Like if you go out on the street, they'll say, come into my home, have tea. They don't know you. And I feel like we can learn a lot about hospitality and about the love of Jesus from these people. Um, so I, we were really challenged. We were also really blessed. Um, by these people here in Oklahoma City. So I think that's one of the reasons that we want to try to focus on them first. But obviously, like Jacob said, there are a ton of people groups there, and the Lord could lead us anywhere, but this is a good start. Yep. And then, uh, so back in August, we got to take a vision trip. So um, one good thing that uh, our organization advised us, and I'm really appreciative, is we took our whole family. We took the kids, you know, little kids on an international flight and let them experience and see the sights just like us because we believe that God sees them in this call and they're part of it and, uh, you know, they're on our team, right? And they're actually going to be a huge part of our team, I really believe, because the kids open doors. We all know that, right? Kids, you never know who's going to come up and say, oh, man, your kid's so cute and, you know, uh, the Middle Eastern community loves loves children and, and sees them as a huge blessing. So uh, these are just some pictures of us. Uh, so the lady on the far left is one of our good friends, Stacy, and the, the, the woman in the middle is Adele Haynes. She's part of our team there. She's from South Africa and has served um, Arab Syrians as well. And that's our daughter, Rory, and you know Callie. Um, and then that's Michael, her husband. So we're uh, we're moving to Hamburg, Germany. So this is uh, actually a big, uh, a major uh, seaport for Europe. And so kind of touring the city, getting to see the sites and, and meet our team and get to know them. Uh, and then, and then finally, this is, um, this is the Farsi speaking church that has been planted there, uh, by a part of our team, uh, 
So we also see ourselves being able to come in and disciple these leaders. Uh, that there's a huge opportunity to continue to grow them in Christ and 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 help them mature uh, the people around them and teach them how to uh, disciple each other. So it's pretty cool. It's a you know super multicultural. You know the most diverse uh, body of Christ community that we've ever seen is uh, quite an experience. Callie had a really good. Uh, uh, story. Yeah, so I somehow got finagled or swindled into sitting on the front row of this church um, the first time I visited, and um, I was watching them worship, and I was totally enjoying it, and uh, one of their um, elders, I guess you could call it, came up to me and said, would you please pray for the congregation, and handed me a mic and walked off. And I said, uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, and this was significant to me because this is a Muslim background believer man asking a woman to pray in front of the congregation. So this is like some serious discipleship that these people are getting. Yeah. I mean, they have been walking with the Lord and this is the fruit. So, um, I, did get to pray and that was really cool, but I was more, I was more moved and flattered that he even wanted to ask me. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, it just said a lot about the team that's there, about what's happening, what the Lord is doing already. And we were just so excited to be part of that. Yeah. Um, so more of, uh, our ministry vision is that we want to, uh, see Jesus worship by the refugee and asylum seeker population in Germany. Uh, so another quote, I mentioned Piper earlier, is a quote that says, missions exist because worship doesn't. You know, Jesus is due the worship of all nations, and we know he's going to get it, and we want to part of, be a part of him receiving that, uh, worship. So that's our end goal vision is we want to see, uh, kind of a high level vision, see Jesus worshiped, uh, by these people, and we want to accomplish that by our mission, which is we want to be a part of planning gospel-centered churches um, through discipling refugees to love and obey Jesus, be responding in, in loving obedience to him, and helping them form and, and plant churches. And we want to see those things multiply and, and continue to grow and, and teach them to be disciple-makers from, uh, you know, from the get-go. Uh, we want, to, want that to be um, part of the process. So some of the core values that we want our ministry to be about, and I kind of mentioned it. So thank you, Andrea, I already kind of shared this one uh, this morning, right? The Great Commission is kind of a easy giving one, but some of the things that we wanted to highlight is that, um, yes, we want to be making disciples. We want to be baptizing them because that's what Jesus is telling us to do. That's the key component. And then also teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. We want to be training them so that they know how to obey Jesus and observe. And what does a Christian life look like? How do we respond in loving obedience uh, to Jesus? And and giving them practical tools. And, and you know, it's like, well, can I use the term baby believers? How do we start them, you know, from, you know, very little knowledge and, and teach them from early on? what it means to respond in loving obedience to Jesus and what does it mean to follow Jesus, you know. Uh, you know. So what are those things? And that's really what we want to do. And, man, we're comforted that Jesus is with us uh, through this whole process. What a good promise tagline at the end of that. And then uh, I mentioned this a little bit before of loving the sojourner, uh, that God, you know, we can see for the Lord, your God is 
God of gods and Lord of lords and great, uh, the mighty and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He execute just, executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And so we see, you know, God's reasoning behind why he wants us to, you know, God's people to engage in loving the sojourner or the refugee is because, you know, and when we really put ourselves in that position, you know, we were sojourners before we knew Jesus. You know, we were sojourning in this world that we were refugees. We were, you know, before we kind of came into the promise of Jesus and God. Um, and that he, you know, we see him loving the fatherless and the widow and the sojourner that God has a, just a, a place in his heart. Uh, for God's people to engage with those and, and ministering to them. Um, and then, uh, multiplication. So we kind of touched on it a little bit, but, you know, this is Paul writing to Timothy and saying, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, so we see four generations of discipleship present in this. You know, we see Paul is discipling Timothy. And when he's telling Timothy to uh, disciple uh, faithful men, you know, number three, that those faithful men will be discipling uh, others also and able to teach. And so we really get from this, we want to be, we want to be out, you know, finding persons of peace, but we, once we identify those people who are faithful men, we want to pour into them and trusting that God's going to do the multiplication, uh, work necessary rather than trying to be out there talking to a hundred different people and, and, and being stretched thin and those sorts of things. We want to uh, trust God's provision of multiplication and, and generational discipleship. So, and that's, you know, including in, in training and disciple people who are natural leaders within their communities and so that they can take that on and, and minister to their own people rather than us, you know, get burnt out in a couple of years because we're trying to minister to a hundred different people. So we want that to be a part of our ministry moving forward. Um, and then finally, you know, the end goal is every uh, tribe, tongue, nation, people uh, ransomed, uh, standing around the throne room in, in, uh, in Revelation, worshiping Jesus. Um, and man, praise God that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And this is our driving uh, force. You know, we want to see this and we want to see it. We want to see the Great Commission fulfilled in our lifetime and, and work toward that, and that, um, you know, just getting to see uh, this ethnically diverse worship around Jesus is just uh, what a really cool thing, and we're excited to see that in heaven one day, and excited to experience, you know, pieces of it here, um, and then that's just, that's our driving force for our ministry to, to see that happen. Um, and so, it is our time to launch uh, back in August is when we took our vision trip. Um, and so currently we're actually doing an internship with our organization. So it's a nine-month internship, and we started that in January. And so you want to tell some of the things that we do? Yeah, so we spend about two hours a week on a call we share with um, some of the other missionaries in our organization who are also preparing to go. And um, we talk a little bit about 
um, well, we have lots of reading. <laughs> we read through like all of the Gospels and all of the New Testament right now is what we're doing currently. And then we're also talking about uh, what's going on in our missional community. So we have a group that meets at our house every Wednesday, and we are trying to disciple people to live this out. So we are... Um, praying for our persons of peace. We're asking the Lord to give us new persons of peace. We are um, trying to eventually invite unbelievers into our group so that we can disciple them. Um, we are kind of using a discovery Bible study method, which I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but um, we read a passage, usually a parable or um, some part of the New Testament, and we ask uh, two questions. What does this tell us about Jesus? And what does this tell us about ourselves. And once you answer those questions, like the Holy Spirit really begins to speak and he really begins to do all of the teaching and we don't really have to do much at all. It's pretty great. And so um, we've been doing that for um, the last two or three months and um, we're getting a lot of coaching as well from some really talented and experienced people who've been on the field for a long time and getting a lot of counseling. And it's just been a really amazing experience, and we're really glad that this internship is what we're going through before we leave. We're feeling very prepared. Right. And then hopefully we will, within the next month or so, move into full-time ministry and full-time fundraising as we look to launch uh, this summer. So, and and uh, Pastor Brad invited us to say, you know, what are some of our needs? So we are uh, raising up prayer and financial supporters so if this is what would meet our monthly budget in a variety of different ways, um, currently we're almost uh, 40% of our monthly budget. Um, and then also we're also looking for other um, prayer partners and, and prayer teams because that's going to be essential to enabling us to, you know, uh, be successful in ministry there. We need, we need those things. Um, and so I think that's only about 45 people. Uh, you know, there are levels for churches and individuals and families um, so if it's something that you see yourself in, uh, I mean, we'd love to ask and invite that you would come talk to us. And uh, if you want to join our uh, support and sending team financially or prayerfully, uh, we'd love to invite you uh, into that and, and talk to us more today. And we also like to share, uh, you know, what our budget actually looks like. Um, so, you know, if, uh, if people are giving to us financially, we want to be open and honest about what that money is going to. So our salary is actually, you know, just 60% of that amount. And then, you know, we're also going to pay taxes and other health insurance and ministry expenses and, and travel requirements that we'll have and saving things for like furlough so we can come back and visit you in, you know, three or four years and say, here's what the Lord's done, uh, you know, and how he's, uh, how he's used us in, in ministry. And one thing we always like to say that I am encouraged by because I believe our organization has a really good financial structure that the, you know, with mission organizations, there's an operational administrative fee that goes just to supporting uh, the, you know, day-to-day -day activities that, you know, services that we see. So it's only 5% of our budget. So 95% of what anybody gives actually goes directly supporting our budget, which that's really, really low uh, for people who raise support. And our international director on down to us, we all raise our own individual support. So I think it's a really even playing field. We all uh, do that. So I appreciate that I'm not raising support for somebody else's salary in a, you know, in, a, in an office somewhere, which is nice. Um, so we just wanted to thank you. Uh, thank you for having us today. I hope you're encouraged and 
um, and inspired or challenged in some way. You know, if, if the Lord's doing something in your heart, please come talk to us. I know we wanted to have a time of Q and A. I think we have a few minutes left. So if anybody has any questions for us, uh, we'd be happy to answer. And thank you for having us today. Yes. Uh, not, not yet. yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. So we're going to start language learning in German so that we can be uh, functional in the broader society, right, uh, with the culture around us. And then also the refugees and asylum seekers have to learn German as a part of, of being introduced, so we'll kind of both be able to struggle alongside each other <laughs> in that. And then, and then so I, that'll give us some good time to then start to build on Farsi after that. That's our plan. Yes. Can you walk us through the process of refugee gets to the country? What do you do and what from day one what happens to them? Yeah, so uh so they're like if they're a refugee, then they would get there and get resettled into like a small apartment or something like that. So a lot of the community that's in that church would be asylum seekers, so they're slightly different. So what would happen is they show up to Germany and then they go into a camp. Right? They get um while their status gets vetted. So they you know, they have their claim of this is why I'm seeking asylum, maybe some sort of oppression or persecution, and then that gets vetted through the German government. So they want to make sure that's a credible uh, claim. So they sit in that camp for maybe a year or two. It takes a very long time. They're not allowed to work. Uh, they get a very small stipend for food, and they can leave the camp going but they don't have much money to, to you know, get on a, a train or, or a bus or something. So, so like, for example, um, Rory and I visited a refugee camp while we were in Germany in August, and it's kind of like a big apartment complex, and the apartments are, like, the size of probably, like, a little bit bigger than a, bigger than a boxcar, and there's usually one or two families in them, and they're just out in the middle of nowhere. We drove in a car in Germany, which was interesting, for an hour and a half outside of the city, outside of Hamburg, to get to this place. And there is a U-Bahn station, which is like their um, subway, uh, out there, but it's about a mile from the camp. So you've got women, children, pregnant women, a lot of pregnant women, are walking this mile to get to the U-Bahn station to go somewhere else to go buy food, ride back on the subway, right, walk back the mile and all of that. Like there's no food in this particular camp. Some of them do have food, a lot of them don't. Um, and the I think the biggest hurdle for the people that are in the refugee camps is like a loss of dignity, loss of self-worth, because the German government and the people have pushed them to like the far edge of town, basically. I mean there is nothing out there but dirt. So um it's just, it's very isolating for them, and uh, I think that it's it brings a lot of the morale down for them, mm-hmm. for sure. And so a lot of things, like practical things that will happen is people will go prayer walk those camps, or, you know, some of them can speak English, uh, and there are other, you know, other believers who are part of that church who can interpret. So a lot of those things is, the I mean, the side benefit is they got a lot of free time. Uh, so if we want to go find them and, and talk to them and tell them about Jesus, right? There's a good opportunity that's that's in that. So does that answer your question of what you're looking for? Yes, sir. Is Hamburg up on the northern part of Germany? It is. How do the people that come, most of them are coming from the Mediterranean, so where is their entry point in Germany and then how do they get to Hamburg? Yeah, usually they, uh, they'll come in through Greece uh, is initially, but obviously if, I mean, seeing the news there, they don't really want to stay there because 
they can't really provide for their own people, let alone, uh, you know, these, these migrants. So Germany is kind of like the place that they want to get to. So they do have to travel, uh, I mean, and they want to get there. So the way it works is if they were to get seized by an authority, uh, then they would claim asylum where they're at, and then they have to stay in that country. So they all want to get undetected, basically, into Germany because it's the best place uh, for them to get to. Um, and and so they'll usually, you know, they'll be able to ride trains and, and different things to to get there. So. And I think they choose Hamburg specifically because about 22% of the population, I believe, is uh, refugee or asylum seekers. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of them there. I think families are trying to get together. And I think that's why they choose that. Also, it's like one of the more progressive towns in Germany too. So it's uh, it's a good place if you're from a different culture to resettle. So who puts the bill once they get off the boat? And how are they received by Germany? Yeah, so, I mean, it is, I guess, the German government that does provide for them. It's a pretty small amount. It's a 100 euro. 100 euro a month is what yeah. they receive uh, to basically live off of um, outside of just the, you know, the... So the camps can be in a variety of different things. Maybe they're, they're a lot in like abandoned buildings, things like that, because real estate can be hard to come by. Um, so it varies. I mean, more in the south of Germany, there's, there's more tension with, uh, um, with refugees being there. Um, but I mean, the people want to be there and get jobs and, and, and have a safe and secure life. But it can be more difficult because, uh, by nature, the, you know, Germany is probably the most capitalistic, uh, European nation, uh, where more of them, like, in, when you get farther north, they're more socialistic. So those people are probably paying 60% of their taxes, right? So it can get difficult because they'll see people who are living, you know, there and, and they're trying to, to be viable and start a new life, um, but they're not able to do it immediately. And so there are some tensions, but, um, I don't think it's a, a huge, significant uh, part, but it, that those exist more probably on the southern part of, of the country right now. Yes. So the, is Mannheim down in the southern part? You know, southeastern part of Germany. I mean, are there is it just eastern? Do you know where? It is? I honestly don't know where it is. I'd have to pull out Google. How do you pick uh, Hamburg? Yeah. Correct. Uh, I just wondered if uh, if they try to send you somewhere farther, closer to Greece, mm-hmm. to, to be closer to the ministry. Yeah. So I mean, part of what we're doing is there's a there's a team. So, uh, so I'll try to be quick. All Nations has a variety of what we call hubs. So Hamburg is a new hub. Uh, so there's a number of people, a larger team who can train and send. So you know, we want to be engaging these new believers and training them to go back and be missionaries in their countries, right? So that's Part of it's a hub, so it's a large group, uh, and then and then our organization has been casting vision for us. I think it's going to be very likely that you know there's this large team in the northern part right now, um, which is probably has I don't know probably about 15 uh, people, couples and singles and and families. Uh, but I think the hope and the prayer is that you know maybe a few different people are going to come together, and then we're going to multiply out. So I think it's likely that we might pair up with another family. And then, and then go out into other places and plant new teams and, and where work is not being currently done as much. Yeah. Yes. So obviously the uh, government of Germany is open to this. And is there any particular 
Uh, within Germany, you mean? Yeah, so they, uh, people on our team work al alongside and are always, uh, trying to build, uh, relationships with churches that exist in Germany. It can be difficult because it is a post-Christian nation. Uh, so, you know, we might get a lot of nominal Christians who would just be by name only, but, uh, would not necessarily be, you know, the same level of ex expectation that we would have when we say, you know, a Christian. Um, so it can be difficult because there's not a huge evangelical church presence that's really active in that community. So that's kind of part of the reason we're going to fill in that gap because it doesn't totally exist. Um, but we are trying to reach out to those bodies who are there. So there are other Germans uh, who, who kind of participate on the team and we're always trying to strengthen those uh, relationships. And then kind of practically, uh, you know, All Nations has essentially kind of the equivalent of a 501c3 um, there, so they kind of are our work sponsor, uh, is the way it works, uh, I guess kind of visa-wise of, of how we gain access and, and are seen in the government's eyes of what we're doing.